Ogilv Nanagus. Part two. <laughs> well, it's, it's just as well, given all of this superhero <laughs> yeah. fighting going on and blasting our land to smithereens, the craftsmen, I don't think they're a problem. Okay, all. they're all yeah. thoroughly Irish. I think they're very Irish. I mean, even with the, the sort of Govnu and Govanan uh, parallel. With there is the a Welsh. parallel. Yeah. Uh, but then Smiths are powerful everywhere. Exactly. No, that's definitely you're quite right. Govanan yeah. and, and Govnu do seem to be fairly yeah. cognizant. But this this grouping of Dean Kert, Govnu, Lochta, Crednacher, we mm -hmm. talked about this in episode five of this series. Mm -hmm. They are a very long lived figures within Irish tradition. Essential to the Dodonis. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, Dean Kert particularly is always, always counted among them. Um, and we saw that they give rise to both, you know, charms and law texts in later tradition. Now, one of the sort of little curiosities is that the part of the story which, about Dean Kert, his son Meich and daughter Arvid, which we've looked at in great detail because it's, it's a wonderful story. I love the story of yeah, We first looked at it in series one, episode four, but of course we've touched on it again when we talked mm. about the craftsman in this series in episode it's five. It's a bit different, that one, isn't it? It is. Now, it, it's not in that lovely old Irish pressure rich stratum per se, yeah. but when we looked at the names themselves and found this story it was a big surprise yeah about you know the, the eager plowman and his son who's a measure of grain and his the daughter processed grain the measure of unprocessed yeah. the measure of processed grain yeah and it, you you can't you will obviously then mere has to be put into the ground yeah yeah because that's how grain grows yeah. and so in a way, it's the character of that story just feels, it feels both centrally important, but also quite ancient. Yeah, yeah, you know? I think that one was an interesting one. Yeah. But it's still, um, it, it that's almost a side story. Mm, it is. Do In a way, Tura. yeah, because you had to have Dean Kerr there. You know, he's there at the second muster and, of course, creates the well of healing, which is important to the, the thrust of the story. And almost because he was there, then you had to include this great story about him and his children because mm -hmm. it was so important. So even though it kind of appears a bit as an interlude, it was almost like like the story of Ogma finding Orna. It's like this is just too good a story to leave out, mm. you know. And it's almost that feeling as though people would know the story. Oh yeah, yeah. Like not much is talked about in the finding of Orna. It's just there because we know that story. Exactly. Yeah. And the death of Mirak. Well, yeah. we just know the story, and it still survives in the Children of Turin. Yes, in, it in does. A in a lovely way with the the doorman in his eye of the cat. Exactly. Exactly. So you know, it's clearly yeah a story so that was probably known, probably well loved, <laughs> yeah. but is definitely I think good. definitely Irish. We get to keep them. Yeah. Well. <laughs> So what are we left with now? Well, one of the important things I think we're left with is Ruadon. Oh yes, of course. I mean, he's an almost forgotten character, but there he is, that red-haired boy in the forge. He has quite a strange role within mm -hmm. the story, but you know, we have discussed this before, like when we were talking about The Craftsman, episode five, and In the Search for Bridget, series one, episode five. So There's something very- technology, isn't it? Yeah, well, again, this description of the way that the forge worked and that that gave the two of the day such an advantage that the Fulvera wanted to send a spy. And in fact, we've recently had a correspondence through the website um, from one it's of our really... listeners, which is we're really excited about, yeah. talking about the history of, of forms of metalworking. I really felt that this is important. Yeah, this is something we'll really enjoy getting into. I mean, metalwork mm. is 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 one of the great, it's as great as technology as the silicon chip really is. Well, yeah, know, or discovery the, of fire or the wheel. It's one or, of the greats. It is, yeah. One of the most important, and it's a great magic. Yeah, 
massive. And of course, oh, metals, even though we think of iron as a very ordinary metal, it was still or incredibly valuable. Still very valuable for a very long yeah. time. And bronze before it. Mm. I mean, mm. uh, you know, even then, when there was a f make, creating of copper and yeah. bronze, yeah. Uh, it was still secret, rare, mm. and people went on using the previous technology for a very long time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as our correspondent would say. But I mm. mean, this is something we're very interested in. Yeah, yeah. And the, this, this constant reference to the red-haired boy at the forge yeah. seems to have something to do with this technology. I but think it's, so. It's, mystery, it's mysterious. It is a bit and it's a little bit uh, kind of difficult to get hold of. Yeah, it's just that feeling. But then once again, in the folklore tale of the birth of Lou, yes. uh, there's a red-haired boy at Governor's Forge. Yeah. And this time his name is Sowen. Yeah. And because of him, Balor is able to make off with the grass cow. Yeah. The, 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 the cow whose, some, whose milk never failed and yeah. all the rest of it. Now this, this is the same cow that the doctor asked for in payment on the advice of Oinga Sog. When Oinga Sog said that he should ask for this black-spirited heifer, that's the glass gowan. Mm. So mm. and she plays a really central role in uh, the whole tale, and she's stolen from Governor's Forge mm. in the folktale version. Yeah, um, but of course, Ruthorn's death. Well, it sort of seems it's something of a tragedy in Moitura. Isn't yeah, it? it's almost a, a kind of incidental, minor tragedy. Um, it's partly remembered because his mother is Brig. Um, and of course, people who are going looking for Bridget, that's her, her only, only mention possible of her. mention of her. And of course, there's that story about how it was the first time Keening was heard in Ireland. So, although, as we saw, again, series one, episode five, you know, Brig, Bridget is very much a continental character, very popular in Britain, of course, mm -hmm. you know, and this is her only appearance within the Irish mythology. Mm. But Ruadon himself has a very distinct and important role to play. Yeah, you see, he's there when Governor makes the spear. Mm. And again, it's this spear, uh, uh, just like you have Lou's spear. Mm. This is one of the four treasures of the Dodonum. Mm. And it's the making of the spear, not the sword, that, mm. Governor, that, that, that is the description of what Governor's doing. Yes, yeah, it's about spears. He's yeah. It's all about spears, mm. and the making of the spear in three parts. Yeah. And so it's what those three hammerings. And, uh, and then, of course, we must remember that Ruathorn is the son of Bresh. Yes. And Ilya, the son of the Shadow King, mm. who, if you like, is a prince. I mean, he is. Yes. The, he, if if the, if it's to remain true, mm. he could, has he has eligible for the kingship himself. Yeah, and that was the the kind of position we took when you created the story of Ruathorn in the Forge. You know that he could have been king. You know, mm. why wasn't he given that? position he has a right mm. to it but, but here he's son of the shadow king he is then himself killed with this wonderful spear that yeah. Gofnu is making this magical spear yeah uh, so in a way Ruthorn is almost like a, a, another version of the shadow king yeah and like Nuada he is the wounded king yeah the he one can't who, be king he can't be king he has to be killed instead could we say then in some ways that he he's almost like replacing Lu here Mm. Yeah, there's, there's definitely ways in which he could have Lou's part to play. Again, that thing of mixed, the mixed parentage. Yeah, he's another one, isn't he? Yeah, a, another kind of outsider from that respect. You know, he's, he's not quite comfortable in either camp. But it, it, he also, in certain respects, kind of plays a similar role to Nuada. 
when we're talking yeah, about yeah. a wounded king. He's in this another case, wounded king. Yeah, in this yeah. case, he's, he's completely sacrificed. Well, I suppose I'm just saying that if we uh, if we're going to take Lou out of the picture, mm. just speculatively, mm. we've eliminated this cinematic moment of the confrontation between Lou and Bala. Yeah. So if we do this, we've lost, shall we say, the climactic moment of yeah. our story. Yeah. Uh, so we still need a climax. We yeah. still need a battle. Yes. <laughs> we still need something for them to fight for. Well, we have one. What we have is the battle to retrieve the glass gown yeah. from the Fovera. She who was in, in the folktale version of Lou was stolen by Balor and is the reason the Cian goes and binds Ethly. Yeah. And of course, as we discussed before in series one, episode two, uh, the glass gown is another incarnation of Ethly. Uh, that's why she has to be Lou's mother. Exactly. You know, to, to kind of give Lou the importance to the story, he has to be connected to her. It's and an intricate web. Yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, you know, that means that the most important thing is getting back the cattle of Ireland. Yeah, and of course. And then the success of the Dodonimin battle mm. allows for the most important moment mm. in the re-establishing of natural order. Yeah. The thing that, the loss of which began with the conception of Bresh. Yeah. And the reason why Angus advised his father to ask for that black heifer yeah. becomes clear. Mm. So now the Dagda can reclaim his harp. Yeah and play the music that's going to call back the Glasgowan. Absolutely. Yes, this is the music that is said to be bound in the Dagda's harp, and he's the only one who can play these three wondrous strains of music. And it's the harp of the four seasons, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's one of the things said. Um, harp of the four corners? Yeah, four corners, but also that Dardar Blau, which in, in the past mm. we've always said, you know, an oak of two meadows, that's the usual translation. Yeah. It could be the oak of two calls, two yeah. summonings, and uh, it is very much the, the Dagda uses poetry to call the harp off the wall. Uh, and he says, come summer, come winter. Well, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. yeah you know, that the, there is very much that sense that there's a music that only the Dagda can release from that harp. That he can release the natural seasons. Yes. And of course, the name, one of those names of the harp is Cor Kethacher, you know, which is the justice of four, that could be four, angles or four shafts you know there's a few different ways to look at it but it's definitely got cord in it's there. It's got that word that really is the word meaning natural justice. Yeah natural justice. Natural order. Yeah. You know that is the cinematic moment we're after. Mm. I mean it really is a, a, an extremely visual moment if you think about it especially in a sort of with an agrarian audience. Absolutely. You know this calling of the harp and, mm. the, and the cow coming forth and the, all the cows of Ireland following her and the land blossoming and uh, mm. growing again. Yeah. Uh, you know, come to think of it, it's still like that. You, you've seen that advert on the television for, the, for butter, yes. Irish butter. Kerry cold butter, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's actually advertised in, a, in, a, in a, this man, this great man who has made the, the butter is life. And the images of him coming over the, under this rainbowed sky with waterfalls in the distance, carrying the cow on his shoulders yeah. <laughs> with his eyes gleaming with emotion because he wants to be a butter man <laughs> so you see nothing's changed exactly it's it's a very dagged image isn't it <laughs> well the restoration of Ireland absolutely yeah. oh no no but it, you see uh, advertising hasn't changed so we've still got us we have got our cinematic yeah, moment yeah if I hope it's a bit better than that <laughs> right so to recap this speculative possible story, story yeah. yeah 
Uh, we start with the conception, the deliberate conception of a king of chaos. A child of chaos. child of chaos, yeah. who's going to overturn the natural order both of nature and of society and then the watchers and recorders see that the time of chaos must follow yeah in fact it has to follow now yeah and uh, this time it in this time it will seem that the prosperity of the land is lost yeah and that justice is turned on its head yeah the king is wounded his place is taken by a shadow king and then that shadow king's own son mm -hmm. who also has the mixed Dedanon and Fovra parentage who's a grandson of the Dagda is killed by a spear. Yeah, the child who could have begun the renewal yeah. the red-haired boy at the forge is lost and with his death that well of healing is lost as well. Yes, the land is truly a wasteland. Wait a minute. <laughs> Hang on. I'm not sure I like where we're going. <laughs> uh, we've got the Fisher King, the mm -hmm. son of a king wounded by a spear, killed in this case, mm -hmm. um, the prosperity and then the health-giving nature of the land is lost. Yeah. There is no leader. It is leaderless and without prosperity. You'll be telling me next <laughs> that we've got a search for the Holy Grail on our hands. Uh, well, we do, actually. <laughs> yeah, come off it. <laughs> well, seriously. Well, we... We do have a grail, and uh, hang on. <laughs> well, it's it's Ingus, the son of the Dagda, who sets the finding of that grail in motion by recommending to his father to choose this particular heifer. It's from her that you know her milk never fails. That is going to it brings back the prosperity of the land when and she of calls course her calf. gives us that central and cinematic climax exactly the return of prosperity and the glasgowan yeah and the land blossoms in health and prosperity again but the watchers and recorders know that that prosperity is cyclical and that chaos will come again you know when we set out to search for a proto story mm. uh, this was the last thing i was looking for <laughs> now it's true that years ago i studied arthurian the arthurian cycle in some detail including the glastonbury legends and arthur and the mabinogian mm. and that is particularly interesting yeah but i'm not happy i'm not particularly happy about this because well, for obvious, it's quite obvious, I was born in England. I left and came to explore the real stories, <laughs> the Irish stories. Uh -huh. And I really don't want to drag my tour into the Matradder of Britain. <laughs> <laughs> no, please. Well, look at it this way, that much as we talk about languages having a common source, stories do also share common roots. Mm -hmm. And in a way, you could look at this as the common root of both the story of Maitura and the stories of the Grail in Britain. And Arthur, yeah, yeah. the Arthurian story. This search for this lost treasure. Yeah, that the, there's just two different tellings that have arisen and developed That's from awesome. an underlying story. And I mean, we did say that Moitura has clearly been miscategorized as a battle between gods and evil yeah. demons. It isn't that. Yeah, it just doesn't fit. It is this this search for lost natural order. Yeah. I suppose, if you like, that's a search for the Grail. Well. There are supposed to be several manifestations of the Grail, yeah. including not just a cup, but I mean, it's well known as a plate and a jewel and a cauldron, of course, yeah. and others, some, of course, extremely fanciful. Yeah. Well, now we can add the shape of a cow to well, that list. <laughs> Oddly enough, it just struck me yeah. that um, 
you know, Glastonbury, on Glastonbury Tor, there's a church that fell in an earthquake and just a tower is left. And, mm. and on the top of the tower, there's carving of a woman milking a cow. Mm. Now, this is always suggested that this is Bridget, yes. who's the monastery, there was a monastery of Bridget, yeah. a convent, I should say, of Bridget, not far away, so they say. Maybe it's not Bridget, or Brig, as I should call her. Maybe it's Ethelou and the Glasgowan. Well, if Ethelou and the Glasgowan are one and the same, then what on earth is she doing? She's milking herself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But there's a bell also, which I may or may not have any relevance. But um, <laughs> but I suppose it adds weight to Lou's role, you know, how this story of Lou becomes completely part of the the, 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 the whole cloth of Moidura. Yeah, exactly. That, that much as it has developed in within the matter of Britain as this, you know, quest for the pure knight, that in a way, yeah, that's, that's the... the role that Lou comes and takes so it's quite a natural development <laughs> well he's no Galahad <laughs> uh, no <laughs> well the entire atmosphere of this story as we started off by saying that it's all very well interwoven by the ninth century mm. but the society that it reflects and the ideas that it reflects they feel more if you like iron age possibly even you could describe them as bronze oh, there age. are themes that are definitely definitely could be described i think there as are themes age. again this is part of our speculation just as if you like the works of homer um like in his description of the fall of troy and so on the society that he's describing in that goes back a thousand years before the time mm -hmm. of his writing. Essentially, man hunting. Yeah. You, he had a terrible effect on Troy. Well, yeah, less, less said, you know. But essentially that a story can last, you know, so much longer after the milieu that gives yeah, it Yeah, I think my Torah, the story of my Torah is an exemplar of this. Mm. Well... We have our experimental protest story, I suppose. Um, yeah. We've lost everybody's favourite, Lucky Lou, <laughs> the King of Bling, <laughs> the Ildonic. Uh, we've lost the uh, Fovera Giant, the mm. terrible Balor with his poisoned eye. Poisoned mm. eye. But we've we've gained a a cool protagonist. I mean, cool in both sense. Mm. Elitha, honourable, precise in his understanding of the rules of leadership stunningly beautiful of course but oh so calculating yes definitely cool <laughs> we've also gained this wonderful tragic hero in Ruthorn. yeah a, a sacrificed prince mm. his death required if the balance is to be restored yeah and uh, we have a quest for prosperity and health personified i can say personified if it's Cecily really yes. personified in the glasgowan yeah um and of course, the central characters, we have them intact, don't we? We oh, have yeah. the accomplished and skilled craftsman, mm -hmm. and above all, the humour, eloquence and deep wisdom of the Dagda, yeah. and the sharp-eyed, long sight of the observant Morrigan. Yeah. That's not bad. I, I'm happy with that. Now, to finish with, we usually start with a story. I thought... Since this is the last episode of our explorations of Moitura, maybe... I've tried to construct a brief proto-story based on our conclusions. Yes. And, uh, yep, we'll finish with this story. And until you hear us again, enjoy. The proto-story. A speculation. And the Morrigan spoke at last. The time will soon be upon us, and unrest will not pass us by. The leader of our people will be fatally blemished. Nuada will be wounded in heart and hand. 
No longer will he hold golden prosperity within his grasp. The doctor grinned. Oh, dear Kecht will make him a hand of silver. Silver will not be enough. The land will wither and die. And the doctor answered her again, shaking his great head. Oh, the mountains may fall, the waters swallow the earth, yet peace and plenty will return eventually. Battle stands between us and that future. The fight will be long, fierce and bloody. We are one people, and yet we are two. We cannot share the land forever with our own shadows. It will come to battle with the Foverer. Oh, yet peace will come again. The Morrigan stood still, staring into the misty distance, as if she could see the soft shapes of coming times forming in the fretful wind. And then she spoke more sharply. We must prepare for this time of unrest. All must fall before the world can once more be set to rights. And it must begin with the making of a new king, a child of chaos, a child born of both the Dodonan and the Fovera, a child to weave our shadow dance. The Morrigan paused a moment, frowning. But yet I see another such child, one who will pay the price for the shadow's failings. It will not be fair. The Dagda laughed until his belly shook. Oh, it is never fair, he answered her gently. But it will be just. And best of all, we will play our own parts in this story. Oh, but yet it may be that we will not remember what we play. Well, not until all is done. And so it began with a bargain between the Dodonan and the Favara. Eru, the daughter of Delveth, was given in marriage to Elitha, a prince of the Fovera. But some said that the maiden didn't know of the alliance, and at first she met with Elitha unexpectedly. Beside the calm ocean, she saw a great vessel of silver, and upon it a man of the fairest appearance, clad in a cloak banded in gold. An hour of lovemaking they had at his request and her willing granting. And he gave her his ring, telling her not to part with it, except to someone whose finger it would fit. And thus the child Bresh, the child named for chaos, was conceived and grew strong, nurtured by his mother's people. And he was beautiful to see. In time, the mist became firm and took shape, and it all happened as the Morrigan had foreseen. When Nuada lost his hand in a fight with Streng, champion of the Fearbolog, Nuada could no longer lead his people, and the young Bresh was chosen as king, not least for his great beauty. But his golden brightness cast all else into shadow. Bresh took all the cows of Ireland, took their milk to himself, until the land was squeezed dry. He forced a Dodonan to menial work, starving them of food, and even the Dagda himself dragged dead wood, weakened by hunger. And the land withered. The Makog, son of the Dagda, watched his troubled father shaking his head. 
Oh, you forget you do not have to put up with this, he laughed. Let me give you my advice. As payment for your work, ask Bresh for the black-maned, spirited heifer, and nothing more. But remember, do not take the payment yet. Why not? asked his father. Oh, hunger has eaten your memory. Wait, and you will know. The MacOg also told him how to trick the satirist Creenvale, who was demanding the three best parts of his father's food each and every evening. Take these gold coins, hide them in the food, he grinned. And if Creedenvale swallows them, he'll have the best of what you've got to offer, but it will do him no good. He will die. And even if you're accused of his murder, well then it will favour our cause. When Bresh orders your death, as he, he may, you will prove your innocence when the satirist is cut open and they discover the gold. You gave him the best you had and uh, he died of it. And so it came to be that the Dagda's trick caused the Shadow King to give bad judgment. And then the poet Cabra laughed and made a satire on Bresh that would be a blemish on his good name for all time. Without food, quickly on a dish, without cow's milk on which a calf grows, without a man's habitation after darkness remains, without paying a company of storytellers. Oh, let that be Bresh's condition. Bresh, no longer king, fled back to his father's people. And the shadows and the hunger fled with him, and for a while the land was untroubled. And in that bright time, Miak, the son of Dienkerk, the craftsman, healed Nuada, restoring to him a land of flesh. And the land grew and was reseeded. And in this brief, bright time, while the land still breathed, the Dagda called to himself allies of power, those who knew the secrets of water, fire, air and earth, and they secluded themselves in secret at Granach Dollard. For in the battle to come, the Dagda told them, all may change. We must be prepared to raise the mountains to crumble dust and hide the waters of the land so that our enemies will find no comfort. And for a year they prepared their arts. The sun rippled the quick water of the stream into flowing rivulets of silver. The woman's eyes relaxed, and almost gently she unwound her red-gold hair and let it flow unbound into nine tresses river-bright. She sighed deeply. It was almost a laugh and playfully she straddled the little stream, seeing the sparkling flood idling between her feet. The man watched her from a distance, a soft light of familiar longing in his deep earth eyes. He waited until the woman knelt to wash in the fresh water of the stream flow. This was his woman. This was the Morrigan. They came together in contentment in this place, bare place, the bed of the couple it was called. Oh yes, this was a bright time, a time between times when the land waited, held at the balance point. It is the time, said the woman finally, staring into the star point stream ripples. But now 
we go down into battle and destruction. The Foverer, our enemy, are very close. You must summon our people to this flood. The balance has tipped. And she left, saying that she would go to find Indeg, leader of the Fovera, and seek a way to threaten him and weaken him herself. The Dagda stood until she was out of sight, his eyes twinkling. He had no intention of waiting here, and when he was sure she was gone, he set off for the Fovera camp himself. Oh, no secret spying here. He walked straight in, demanding a truce. The Fovera eyed him with suspicion, unsure of his intentions. He is a man of quicksilver wit and wise words, they whispered. He will accuse us of niggardliness, as his people did with Bresh. And so they offered him impossible hospitality. The king's cauldron, five fists deep, was filled with eighty gallons of new milk, meal and fat. Entire goats, sheep and pigs were added and boiled with the porridge. With great relish, they poured the whole lot into a hole in the ground and bade him eat his fill. Oh, there was no way, no way that they would lay themselves open to his satire, not on his account. They watched in fascinated horror while the Dagda ate every bit, using the man-sized ladle, ate every scrap he did, even picking out the last morsels with his finger. And then he set off, a figure of fun, but not caring that his rough tunic failed to cover his naked buttocks or that his distended belly dragged almost to the ground. Oh no, he was waiting for the next adventure, and it wasn't long in coming. Maybe Indeg's daughter was sent to offer him a further hospitality that he was in no shape to accept. And maybe it was her own idea. Either way, she flaunted herself before him, taunting him, jumping on his back, knocking him to the ground. Ah, come on, you great lump of a man, she teased. Carry me on your back to my father's house. Can't do that, he replied, enjoying the game. It's skesh for me to carry anyone who cannot say my full name. Now the dagger had a whole host of names, too many to remember easily. But she could recall every one after he had spoken them but once. Laughing, she threw herself straight onto his belly, ridding him of all the encumbering contents. And then laughing again, she climbed back on his back. Uh, before long, wordplay led to foreplay and an unexpected alliance with the daughter of the enemy king. But the brief time, the brief bright time was over and the breathing of the land grew shallow again. The prosperity of the land, the Glasgowan, that black-maned spirited heifer won by the Dagda in lawful trickery, still remained in the hands of the Fovera. Without her, the land would parch and die. And now, for her sake, battle was enjoined. At first it seemed that all went well for the Dodonan. Govnu's skills of firecraft and metal offered matchless, ever-sharp weapons, and dear Keg's skills of watercraft and healing created a well capable of reviving any wounded man. Ruathorn was unhappy. He was the son of a king, but he felt ignored, unimportant. Bresh, Ruathorn's father, had fled back to the Fovera in disgrace, but 
he, Ruadorn, the son, he had committed no unworthy act. But he had no great deeds to his name, but if it came to that, he'd been given no opportunity to show his worth. And then an idea brightened his heart. He would be a spy. He would enter the enemy camp, uncover all their secrets. Uh, it would be easy for him, of course, for his mother, Brig, was Dodonan. And it worked. The Dodonans saw only Brig's son. No one saw the young and efficient spy. He discovered the healing well and proudly reported his findings. In the darkness, the battle leader, Octrialoc, gathered men together and heaped stones high over the pool, destroying its virtue. Ruathorn was delighted. He was already winning renown as a spy. In the ruddy forge, Govnu was occupied, creating his own marvellous spearheads. The firelight leapt, lighting flame in Ruathorn's own red hair. What is it you want, Brig's son? asked Govnu amiably. Ruathorn begged to hold a spear, but once the smooth shaft was in his hand, he aimed at Govnu and he threw. The spear pierced the smith cleanly, and here was Ruathorn's chance to help his father's people. But with a frown, Govnu just pulled the spear from his body and almost casually threw it back. The boy fell. Only Brick mourned, keening wildly, but then it was her son who had caused the healing well to be destroyed, and now he was the one who would not be revived. And so the boy, who should have been a leader, should have been a hero, died without renown. But now the battle raged in earnest. It is said and said with authority that many beautiful men fell there in the stall of death. Great was the slaughter and the grave lying which took place there. Pride and shame were there, side by side, and harsh too the tumult over the battlefield, the shouting of the warriors, the clashing of bright shields, the swish of swords and ivory-hilted blades, the clatter and rattling of the quivers, the hum and whir of spears and javelins, the crashing strokes of the weapons. And yet at the end, the Fovera were utterly defeated and driven to the sea, never to be a threat to the land again. There were offers and negotiations and peace treaties. There was the counting of the slain and the recounting of deeds. The battle was over. But the land was not yet restored, the natural order not yet re-established. Together, the Dagda and the Morrigan had one more great task to undertake. Then Dagda followed the fleeing Fovera until he came to the feasting hall where sat Elaha and his son Bresh. And there, safe on the wall, hung the Dagda's own harp. Gladly he called it with the words, Come summer, come winter, mouths of harps and bags and pipes. And gladly the harp leapt into his hands. Straightway he played for them, whether they would or no. The three great musics, the joyful, the sorrowful, and thirdly, the music that made all present sleep deeply. And as he returned to the Dodonan, the Glasgowan followed behind the Dagdamoor. And her lowing called all the cows of Ireland to follow. And as she walked, 
green grass grew up onto her hooves and the land breathed again, fresh and growing. The Morrigan spread her arms and spoke a poem of peace and prosperity. The land lies, a cup of honeyed strength, a strength for all. Here there will be a forest point of field fences, the horn counting of many cows, the encircling of many fields. There will be sheltering trees so fodderful of beech mast that the trees themselves will be weary with the weight. In this land will come abundance, bringing wealth for our children. But not forever. No battle is over forever. The land will fail. Justice will fall. The rhythm of your harp will not keep us safe forever. But all is ordered now, answered the Dagda. Let us enjoy good food, good beer, and good company while we may. The Glasgowan lowed softly in the green-grassed enclosure. Thank you for listening to Ogilaf Nanagus, conversations about Irish mythology with the story archaeologists Chris Thompson and Isolde Carmody. For more information or to subscribe, please visit www.storyarchaeology.com. You can get in touch via email on storyarchaeologists at gmail.com.